All right, so I've got notes. We'll do our R&D. We'll do their R&D, how they're different. You guys are pros. You'll, you'll, you can handle this. What are we doing? I thought yeah, you were you're just doing the intro. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the MC Podcast. Very special episode today. Uh, I'm Andrew Crabtree, your host, and I am joined by my dad, Master's Choice President Lynn Crabtree, and Dr. David Orr. Did I say that right, Ur? You said it right. I think I've heard it a few different ways, and I've never heard you correct anybody yet. I've said it a few different ways, but you said it just right. (laughs) All right. David Ur. David Ur. David works in R&D at Master's Choice, and so we're going to talk about kind of all things related to that R&D cycle, hybrid development. Uh, That should be fun. Yeah. Yeah, talking about hybrids. Yeah, that's your thing, huh? Right. Uh, so before we get into the, 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 the fun stuff, you know, what's your background? Where are you from? How long you been doing this? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, that could be a long story. I'll give you the short version <laughs> Fair enough. of it. Um, yeah, I've been, um, worked in corn breeding, um, started in 1986 was my first job in corn breeding. The year I was born. And yeah, <laughs> there you go. And, um, and have worked in that and also in agronomy. Um, since then for several different companies. What, what drew you to it? What, what, what made you decide you wanted to spend, you know, the 33 years dedicated to corn plants? You know, I think the thing that really is appealing about it is that there's a magic in corn breeding that you can't quite explain. So there's a lot of science to it, and they say it's a science and an art. But I think there's an element of magic <laughs> when you get the right combination that you just can't quite explain. It's like these two lines wanted to get together, and when they did, it was something magic that happened for the kind of performance that you see. That's and pretty cool. That's what's always fun to try to figure out. It's like, when's that magic going to happen? How many times in your career can you, off the top of your head, just ballpark, like how many times have you really seen something where it happened and you just it was like, oh, that's special? You know, it happens every year. Yeah. But sometimes I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, you know, every year I'm out and it's like, oh man, this this hybrid is this is this is going to be it. And then you see it another another place, or you see the data, and you're like, well, I I, I missed that one. It looked really great at that location. Um, but it's 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 very rare. You really have to look at thousands of hybrids before you find one that just has that that special <laughs> combination that really that really can perform. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, all right, LC, Dad, Lynn, El Presidente. Hi, Andrew. What's it? Uh, so, so you know, David, Dr. David, you've been here for a year, a little over a year. What, what have you seen out of our R&D program since he's been around, and what's that been like working with him? It's an absolute, I mean, not just because he's sitting there, yeah. uh, and, and, and I really think a lot of this man. Uh, I think a lot of this man's character, his love for the Lord. Uh, I think a lot of this man, uh, because of the of his dedication to our, our craft. But, but, but this guy here, he, he's, he's the first to get there. He's the last one to leave. And I mean, I mean, 10, 11 o'clock at night, a lot of times and his, his appreciation for, uh, for the job and for the people that he works with. Uh, we have a very young, uh, uh, he has a very young team and, and a largely inexperienced team in a lot of ways. 
uh, and he is a master teacher. He spends time with them. Uh, they absolutely adore him, um, and 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 they just get the best of of what they're uh, trying to do each and every day. And that's just absolutely a joy to watch and and to be a part of. I I echo all of that, but maybe maybe for your sake, maybe we get him on camera talking about you more often. That was a glowing. That is. Record. I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> just like <laughs> let's take the good vibes and start talking about uh, R and D cycle, hybrid development. Um, start with you, LC. Um, what you know, like we've we've had Master's Choice here for fifteen years. What has been your focus, the the things that we have wanted to pursue? Like, what would you say the stated goal of, of the Master's Choice R&D program is? What, what are the things that are at the core of our R&D program? Well, for anyone who doesn't know, my, my background, my experience is in livestock consulting. I was a, I was a ruminant nutritionist. And um, <clears throat> finding a, 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 being involved in, in developing a corn company uh, may, may, may almost sound contrary to that but when we we found a corn that was making a significant difference when we were when we were working with cows and and, and balancing feed rations um, it, it, it was more of a natural move than what you might assume <clears throat> so our focus has always been developing corn materials that make a difference and because we found one that was different back in 2001 2000 2001 um, it made that decision easier because if they could be different then we could even make that better, and so that was that's always been our driving force. Let's 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 cater to livestock feed, whether that be silage or digestible grain, uh, and let's let's make the best livestock feed we can make. Because um, in reality, we're not we're not getting that done very well today uh, in the industry. Uh, so, yeah. So speaking of you know trying to make you know, Doctor David, in in the industry there are different hybrids is for different purposes. Mm-hmm. On the whole, what do you see are the biggest differences between where we are trying to take the Master's Choice program and what would necessary, what might be the goal of the, you know, the industry at large right now? You know, you, you say there's different hybrids for different purposes, but 99% of the grain is, goes for one purpose, and it's developed for the grain industry is the way I see it. And I, I was thinking about, you know, how do you put that? And I, the phrase that comes to mind is we are cutting against the grain. We are developing products that are um, very different looking than your typical grain hybrid that has hard grain, fast dry down, requires high populations. We're looking for things really that would appeal to livestock. And that's a very different look in a hybrid than what a grain hybrid would be. And what are those things you know, maybe that, that we're seeing or that we're at least trying to express in our in our hybrids and our research? Uh, what 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 are those things that are you know better suited for that silage or that uh, that livestock industry? Yeah. So the the things that are the things that are the same are we're looking for high grain yield, and we're looking for good agronomics. Beyond that, they start to diverge. What we're looking for we're looking for a highly digestible grain. Typically, that's a softer grain. And we're not looking for something that dries down fast in the field. We're looking for something that has a wider harvest window. And we're also looking for things that have more digestible stalks. And Lynn can kind of dive into that from the nutrition standpoint. But um, things also that perform better at lower populations. 
So the, these differences, and you, and you kind of mentioned the things that the industry are really pushing towards being that faster dry down, uh, the higher test weight, mm-hmm. uh, sustainability for, you know, the stock when you're increasing populations. Uh, has that always been the focus of the industry or historically, if we look back at the beginning of your career, even before that, uh, has that been something that's been a long standing trend or is that something that's, that's more recent? You know, I think it's been a, I think it's been a long standing trend. I mean, you've seen populations rise, you've seen test weight rise, um, and you've seen agronomic improvements, which are all, you know, positive things for a grain farmer. Um, those things over time have been a pretty long-term trend line. What, is, what do uh, suggested planting populations look like today versus maybe when you, when you started your career? When I, when I started, there were a lot of guys that were planting in the low 20s. Yeah. And now, you know, it's 30 to 40 and even higher. Yeah. You know, 30 would be a very low population right now. Um, unless you're in just a really dry area, um, 30 would be on the low end probably right now on a 30 inch row on a 30 inch row. And then it goes on up from there, up into the mid forties in some cases. When I started farming, Andrew was on a 40 inch row and we were planting <laughs> 15 to 18,000. Yep. And That's that was a pretty, pretty common. big difference. Yeah. <laughs> and so as you see, you know, as the industry has ramped up from then to now, what has that done to the digestibility, the feeding quality of, of those products? Well, I think that's the one, I think that's one thing that we know um, from, from our experience <clears throat> that probably most people don't necessarily know, that, that if, you can, if, you can get a, if, if you can get a deeper uh, um, kernel, if you can get a denser, thicker stalk, um, you can increase digestibility. And so uh, you're really looking at lower pops with high-flex corn hybrids that will go ahead and fill in when you give them the space uh, to be able to do so, uh, the digestibility goes up. And it's a significant movement. So when, when you move from, if you're on a 30-inch row and you move from 28, 30,000 to 34, 36,000, you decrease digestibility uh, considerably. It's a, it's a large percentage. Um, so uh, that, that probably has been one of the bigger things that has been shocking to the industry. I don't think that as we talk about uh, test weight, as we talk about kernel texture, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Um, you know, they used to say if you just grind it fine enough, you know, that you would bring that out of it and make it more digestible. People know that's not true. Um, they know that they're just these smaller pieces in the manure at the end of the day. Um, and so it, it's what not that... If you grind a rock, it's still a rock? Is that what... Yeah, it, it, and it's not that that doesn't help a little, you know, but it's, it's, not, it's not a solution. And so when we're talking about flowery, softer, endo, more digestible grain, people understand that, but they don't unnecessarily understand that planting at 30,000 versus 36,000 also uh, increases the digestibility of that grain, as long as it's not a fixture corn hybrid, David, and as long as it's got the ability to flex somewhat right. and, and make, that, uh, make up that distance. One of the other things that people don't understand about test weight is that test weight's a function of kernel texture, so how dense is that kernel? but also kernel size. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the smaller the kernel, the more of them you can pack into yeah. that bushel so you get a higher test weight. Mm-hmm. So you've got two things. You've got a hard kernel, and you've got a smaller, more compact kernel, both of which run against what's better for livestock. Correct. Yeah. Um, maybe I think you guys kind of 
you touched on flex just a little bit and maybe dr david from your perspective of uh you know what you've seen in your years around around plants and genetics uh, maybe speak to a guy that would be worried just conventional wisdom you know it seems it seems logical you plant more plants you get more yield uh maybe what does it look like when that plant flexes on from a yield perspective and how close can we get uh with that flex to, to matching a silage and and a grain yield I think you're you're looking at quality versus quantity. If you were looking at just pure quantity of grain on good ground, higher populations gives you a higher quantity of grain. If you're looking at quality of silage, then that higher population, as Lynn said, may not get you where you want to go. Mm -hmm. So are you growing it for grain? If you are, the hybrids are developed for high population. They're going to perform very well with those high populations for grain. If you're looking for silage, that may not be the case because you're going you're gonna to decrease the quality and not really increase the yield of the silage very much. The, the, thing, that we're, the thing that we're doing today is, in, is, is a lot of the creativeness in plant breeding is, is really pushing plant pops. You know, uh, it, it wasn't that long ago that 40,000 was just an unheard of number. 40,000 is a common number now. Um, but we're here in 50, 60. 70, 80,000 kernels, you know, per, per acre. Does that look so, like grass growing out 80,000 kernels? Does that look like grass? I, mean, I, don't even, I can't well, even visualize well, that. Well, we're, we're, well I have to, we have to understand that we're all trying to chase the same dream. You want to match the corn hybrid's ability to maximize the space around it, the density of that, of that acre. Mm-hmm. So we've got, de- so we got a square acre out there, and, 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 the, and the ideal is to match the ear size to the density there so that we've got the maximum potential within that, within that corn hybrid at, 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 at the maximum population to take advantage of the density in the field. So we're all chasing the same, same goal. It's just that we're chasing it with a lower population, we're trying to maximize that yield. We're trying to match the yield that they're getting at 40 or 50,000 bushels at 30,000. We're still trying to, still trying to catch that um, and, and still trying to make that match with the plant's ability to maximize the density at a lower population because it's just absolutely critical that we do so for the digestibility differences uh, that show up in, in that grain. It, it, it just, you know, that that part of the equation is not hard for any farmer to understand. You you picture an era of popcorn. You know that looks like a fixed ear of corn anymore. You know, and and we all know how. You know, if you put you put a kernel of popcorn in your mouth and and you chomp down on it, you know, you better protect your your investment in your teeth. You know, uh, because it's going to be pretty darn hard. Uh, so we can see that. Um, whereas you know when when we were when I started first started farming, David back. You know. Uh, a few years ago, and at, <laughs> and at fifteen thousand population, we had a pound ear of corn. Yeah. You know, those those ears were big yeah. old, big old honking ears. Uh, we don't see that anymore. Uh, that's that's nearly a thing of the past. But but the but the theory is the same. Breeding's the same. We got to match the match the population to the density to the acre to maximize that to maximize that growth. So you could plant a fixed ear at thirty thousand, or even a semi-fixed ear at 30,000. And if it doesn't flex to meet the potential of that acre of ground, then you're going to come up short on yield. Right. So you got to build that, you got to build that plant differently, you know, than the corn plants that are being built today. You know, the the other thing that comes to mind, Lynn, with that, and uh, you know, we, you and I haven't talked about this, but when you drop the population, 
you decrease the stress on that corn plant. Yeah. And it, if you're a grain farmer, maximizing that grain yield is all important. If you're feeding livestock, you have to have product to feed the livestock. If you don't, it's a bad day. And if you plant a real high population and then you get a drought at the wrong time and you start blanking out, that feed value goes down tremendously. And I think by dropping the population, you give some stability to the, the performance. If, if you hit a drought, that plant is going to take it better than if you've got that population 10,000 plants higher. What's it, what's it doing? That plant's stressed a little bit too, David, for, you know, for some disease pressure, some additional yep. disease pressure at those yep. higher pops. And you don't, you don't lose tonnage so much as you lose grain. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have a good transition here, so we'll just switch gears here. Um, everything you guys just went through was, re- was really good. Uh, so one of the things I've noticed working in the industry is there are, it does not seem to be and correct me if I'm wrong, but there does not seem to be a great deal of independent seed companies that have their own genetics, their own hybrid development uh, R&D programs. Is is that generally correct? There are fewer R&D programs now than there were 20 years ago, and that has also been a long-term trend. We've had, everyone has seen consolidation in the seed industry, and there's fewer research programs than there were all those. So why do you see fewer independent companies with their own with their own programs? You know, a lot of it's the consolidation in the industry. I mean, a lot of the smaller companies have been purchased by the larger companies. And the ones that are left, it takes a lot of money to invest in R&D. And the ones that are left, it's difficult to make that R&D investment to be competitive in genetics. Is it a good thing for our industry to see more R&D programs, or is it a good thing to continue the consolidation, generally speaking? <laughs> yeah, you're opening a, a pretty good-sized <laughs> can of worms there. Um, is it a good thing? Sure I like my question. I, I wouldn't phrase it in, in good or bad. I'd say it's, it's business and it's the industry. But what you do see is um, consolidation. When you see that, you see less choices, perhaps, for customers. I mean, it, you know, in the old days, you, you did have companies that went off in different directions with their hybrids and what they did, and, and you had more choices. And now you tend to have hybrids that they tend to look and feel and do kind of similar things. You don't have those kind of those different trails that you can take with your genetic program. And I think having smaller companies that have research efforts and are developing new genetics will, uh, I think it adds in diversity, and diversity just means choices for customers. It adds in choices, and I think that's a positive thing. Yeah. That's, did I, did I that's, walk that line no, all that's right? No, that's the answer. That's really what I wanted out of that. I wasn't trying to set up any kind of political, we're going to talk about them or them or make them look bad. Yeah. As, uh, Every- in my mind, when you look at what's available, you know, we, I think the path that we're pursuing is the absolute right path for livestock, but there's so few that are doing what we're doing. Um, it seems like all the R and D programs that I know of are all kind of really trying to hit the same goals and try to out, out test weight each other, out yield each other. Um, and you know, if, if we're right, which I think we are, then, uh, there's just not that many other companies that you're going to see do that. Or, or if you do, it just takes a really big, you know, big ships are really hard to turn, right? So you're, you're seeing the big companies that are really doing a great job with research for what they're doing, developing grain hybrids. And 
There's just a few big companies doing that. And then you see some small independent programs, and I guess we would be a small independent program. And do you see some of those where people are um, really working hard to bring some different genetics to the market? And our take on that is to develop products, as Lynn says, for the end user, for that livestock. And there's not many people doing that. There just really isn't. And 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 what we're looking what we're looking at is that is that the is that the the corn hybrids that are developed for animal feed are just kind of pulling off the best of this focus. So the focus is still on developing great um, yield in the field with with very little consideration for anything else other than some agronomics. We want to make sure it stands, and we want to have some disease resistance in that plant. Um, and and so. Um, that's the that's the focus. So what you do is is if you're looking for animal feed, you're just trying to pull the best of this focus, which really isn't going in the right direction. And I know that you and I've talked about this several times. It's difficult to say that that all of our competition is is and and all of our and all of our um, other. Uh, uh, the folks that are working to develop corn in, in R&D are going in one direction. It's almost like we're going in the polar opposite. It is. You know, there's, there's, some, there's some consistencies in what we're doing. We still want a corn plant that stands up and still yields and makes grain. Yeah. We still want the same uh, types of, of disease resistance uh, uh, as, as what everybody else is looking for. But we are moving in a, in a completely different direction. And, and the thing that's unique about this and the reason that we are so committed to our, our R&D and to the excellence of our R&D is as they continue to get better pursuing those things, you know, that we're, that we're talking about, high test weight, high populations, you know, and we're, we're looking at pursuing lower populations. We're looking at softer grain. You know, we're looking at, at, at that. That disparity gets wider year after year. They get better at, at what they're chasing. We're chasing the polar opposite. We get better at what we're chasing. And every year, the difference between selecting the best of what's going in this direction versus what we're trying to do just gets greater. That chasm just continues to deepen. Yeah, I think we've got a pretty cool graphic that one of the guys in the office uh, put together that uh, if you are on Instagram, go to, uh, go to our Instagram, Master's Choice Instagram, and we'll put that graphic up. But you're right, I think that... Uh, you know, I, I kind of said that big ships are hard to turn and big R&D programs are even probably harder because, you know, you're talking about a, a cycle to develop hybrids. That's how long, David. I mean, how long, is it, how long yeah, would it take to probably, turn something around? It's probably 10 years for most companies. Yeah. Um, this has been great. Uh, just a couple of little questions here before we, before we wrap up. What's, uh, what, you know, when this, this is going to air here in, you know, early half of June, uh, what is what does R and D at Master's Choice look like right now? I know we we just released a video that's uh, showing the nursery being planted. Maybe you know, how yeah. did that go, and and what's what's currently active in the MCR and D? Yeah, no, the nursery nursery went well, so we just finished planting our nursery yesterday, and so that is that is good. And today, I told the guys, I said, go out there and want you to fill in any any gaps between the blocks. I want you to fill that in with just regular conventional field corn, master's choice corn. And I said, that's for the birds, because right now they've got birds coming in and trying to peck yeah. seeds out of the ground. And I said, we want to make sure they have plenty to eat that is not yeah. our research <laughs> program. Fair. And, and so that's what they're doing right now. Very yeah. cool. Uh, 
What's uh, what's next for for MC R and D? What's what's the next thing that's that you're excited about? I'm excited this year about the early genetics that we're developing, and we've been working on that for several years. Um, the researchers here, and we have some things that we're testing quite a bit further north than we had before. Good, and hoping for some some good things to come out of that. Well, that's going to be welcome news to to our uh, our audience in the north. Uh, the things that he was excited about five years ago are just now f- our our audience is yeah. getting a chance to just now begin to get to see. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you guys for coming on. This is this was fun. Um, any any parting thoughts? Any parting words? Nursery looks good. Um, we're doing a, our, our team's doing a great job, and uh, looking forward to another good year. Well, thank you, podcast audience, for joining us. Uh, we had uh, a good a good talk about R and D today. Uh, any questions that you would have, hit us up. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, or if you're listening to this audio podcast, you know, uh, leave us a review and and feel free to submit those questions, and we'll answer them the best we can. I'll, I won't try to answer it. I'll pass it along to these guys because they know infinitely more than me. And uh, so, thanks for thanks for checking this out. And we'll see you in a couple weeks, podcast.